Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Please be seated. How about we look at this Canaanite woman today, the one from our gospel reading, who comes to Christ with the most beautiful and faithful confession of the faith. She says all the right things, doesn't she? Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. She recognizes that he is the God of mercy, the Lord, her master, the Son of David, the promised Messiah. And then she goes on, My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Even the petition she asks isn't for herself, is it? She's pleading with Jesus to heal her daughter while recognizing at the same time that he is the one that has authority even over the demons. Goodness, if any of us were standing right there, we would think this woman had the most humble and pious faith and we would commend her and say, yes, Lord, do this. We would join with her in her her prayers. But Jesus' response to this woman seems to teach us maybe something different. He ignores her requests, even ignores her. And then Jesus' disciples' response to this woman leaves us scratching our head, thinking, what is wrong with you people? You're supposed to be compassionate and loving. But nevertheless, it's recorded for our benefit. We have to learn from this text. And it's good for us to hear and consider that this woman goes before a man who is supposed to be the friend of sinners, the one who has come to save mankind, but by all experience meets a man and his disciples who are more hostile to her than endearing. Yes, I think this text is very good for us to hear. Because far too often we're more willing to trust our experience than to trust what the Bible says. This text teaches us that we must rest solely on the word of God and persevere. To come before God as the impoverished ones. Because what you and I are often promised in this life is delayed. We are promised as Christians that God will be with us to bring us health and joy and peace and so on, but we don't often taste of them very abundantly in this life. Yes, God is with us. He's in his word. He speaks to us. Yes, God is with us in the font, in baptism. His Holy Spirit comes to us and dwells in us. Yes, God is with us in, with and under the bread and the wine, his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But we want the fullness of God. We pray for healing and it doesn't come as quickly as we like or it doesn't come at all in this life and we're made to wait and wait and wait and it can be for a time or it can very well be for the rest of our life. And if we let experience be our teacher, we would think that God is dealing with us in such a cold and unfriendly manner. He's not really drawing near. He doesn't really hear us. 
Because we can be just as fervent in prayer and sincere in our words and say all the right things, just as this woman has done. It must be the most beautiful prayer, the most pious request, but it goes unanswered, unfulfilled in our minds. So what are you going to do? That's the question. What are you going to do? What are you going to think of God? How is your faith going to change if your prayer is not fulfilled the way you have requested it to be? I encourage you today to learn from this woman. So great is her faith and confession. We know that from Jesus' words. And yet, what does she do when Jesus doesn't answer her? When he ignores her? Does her confession cease? Does her humility disappear? Does she become angry? What is her faith resting on? When Jesus ignored her, she turned to his disciples. She pleaded with them. And they show that they just want to be rid of this nagging lady. The one that Jesus doesn't even speak to. And he speaks to them as they come to ask Jesus to deal with her, to get rid of her. And he doesn't even speak and respond to the woman yet. He speaks to them. Of course, she hears it. And he says to them a word that's hard to hear. It's not often translated very clearly. He came except to the Jews, his own people who were supposed to be expecting him. Not only for them, that's where it kind of gets a little confusing. He came first for them. He came to his own people. But Jesus was sent also to all of us. Because we receive what his perfect life accomplishes. We receive his baptism in the Jordan. We receive his death on the cross. Ultimately, he is here for all people. But he does not deny that he was sent to his people of Israel, the flock that he led out of Egypt from the hand of the oppressive Pharaoh. And all this must have been so difficult and painful for the woman to hear because it makes her all the more impoverished, all the more humble. She has in some way already failed her daughter, Her daughter has dabbled in something that led a demon into the home and then into the dwelling place in her daughter. How did she get in that situation? It's not recorded for us, but it couldn't have been anything good. And now she was there trying to fix it. Not that she had any power in and of herself, but she pleaded with the one who did have the power And in the midst of this great and intense trial and tribulation, she no longer asks for the petition for her daughter. It's not that it isn't there, but she goes back to Jesus and she says, Lord, help me. In her petition for her daughter, she realizes that she herself needs Christ. And so she came and knelt before the Lord saying, Lord, help me. And in asking God to help her, she admits that it's not only her daughter who is lost. 
Her daughter may be physically under the power of the demon. But this Canaanite woman is too in need of God's help. In need of God to save her. And that's what's interesting, isn't it? Because you and I often pray for other people. We're ready to pray for other people. Just as the Lord instructs us to do. But even as we pray for them, are we not also praying for ourselves? Are we asking also that the Lord does not lead us into those sorts of trials? Are we asking that the Lord also never lifts his hand from us, never to remove us from his house, never to turn his face from us to ignore us? Because we know that just as our friends suffer, we too can be made to suffer in this life as well. And that only by God's fatherly divine goodness and mercy will we receive the help that we need. This woman's perseverance doesn't at all mean that she was strong. Often that's what we think of when we consider the word perseverance. You have the strength to carry on. But by this woman's actions, by her posture before the Lord, it doesn't seem like she has strength at all. Her strength within her reliance on the one that she kneeled before. Her faith was strong. But she was weaker and humbler than all those who were gathered around her. She was lowly and the least of these. But she was clinging to Jesus with her faith. Resting her very life and soul in his hands and that of her daughters as well. And no one we know who puts their life in Jesus' hands will ever be put to shame. No matter what they are made to suffer in this life. She had to overcome what her experience was telling her in that moment. That Christ was not there for her. Experience would have said that Jesus and his disciples didn't care about her at all. But she was a believer. She was a believer in God's word. And knew that even if her prayer had not yet been answered, she mustn't give up hope, trusting in the God of mercy. And she would wrestle with him. If you and I could go back and watch this interaction, we might have thought for the most of it that her persistence would have ended with shame or a great time of mockery for the disciples. We were sorely been mistaken in that evaluation. For it was as if she already knew what St. Paul would later write in Romans chapter 5, that suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. When Jesus calls her a dog, it's harsh. It's meant to be harsh. There's no easy way to put it. But in that harsh word, Jesus also admitted that he knows her. He knows her as one who is in his house, one who is near his table, where his children have sat, And that was all she needed. To be known by her Savior, whether at the table or on the floor, was all faith needed to endure and to hope. God had seen her begging even for the scraps. She had not been run out of the house. She had not been told to go look for a better family. 
She did not even consider the master to be cruel and unfair for not giving her the whole loaf of bread. She just answers to Jesus, yes. No arguments here. It is as if this woman speaks to the Lord and says, you're right. I have nothing good in and of myself. I am like a dog, like you say. I am nothing and therefore have no hope or comfort in myself, but I see you as a master who cares. I watch you care for your own children. I watch you fill their table with good things, even when they turn it down and say they don't want it. I watch you continually care for them and love them even when they don't love you. So in whom should I put my trust and hope but in you, Lord, and in your loving kindness and your tender mercies? You will help me and sustain me, for I am poor and lowly. Remember me, your servant. The woman was a Christian. She wasn't a Canaanite. She was a true daughter of Israel, a child of God, a sheep of the good shepherd, a member of the flock of Christ. That is why Jesus tested her. He did so in love. He did so to strengthen and purify her faith because he saw her faith. He saw her faith right away. There was nothing that was within her that was more precious to God than that true faith, the faith that trusted in God's mercy and persevered, ready to be delivered from every evil of body and soul. Her faith was so precious to Jesus that he set out in that time to refine it. And he did. God is also refining your faith. So you have to be careful about what your faith is resting on. If it is resting on something other than God's word, it's going to be revealed in times of testing. If your faith is resting on your own experience, then you may be sorely disappointed. Because I can tell you that there are many times and examples in the Bible where it appears to be unanswered, the prayers of God's saints. Job cries out to God, I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you regard me, but you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. Or what about David, who says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In Jeremiah, he laments about God He has hedged me in so that I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayers. Why does God treat his children so? To drive them deeper into his word, that is why. So that your faith is founded upon God's firm foundation. The woman heard the word dog as a deep and an insult that Jesus could have spoken, but she interpreted it according to God's word and promise. Fine, I'll be the dog. And I'll claim what a dog is entitled to, the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And to which Jesus replied, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed Instantly, 
Faith is hungry for God's word. But God is the one who makes faith hungry. He makes it hungry by taking away everything we either wrongly desired or have put our trust in so that he can fill us with the good things. Your experiences in this world, the instant gratification of our modern age is like junk food. It doesn't do anything good for us. If God doesn't validate someone by quickly answering their prayers, many often turn to something that will quickly validate them. But God is not trying to drive us away. He's trying to drive us to read his word, to depend on him more fully, to further trust in him. Don't get addicted to the junk food so that you lose all your patience with God when he makes you to wait. Wait for the Lord. Because you mustn't consider yourselves forsaken by God when he doesn't immediately answer your prayers. But dive deeper into the rich food of his word so that your souls may be satisfied, even as your bodies might be brought to suffer. Have your minds set on the peace that God provides to us, his people, his flock. Because in the end, we see that Jesus delivered this woman's daughter from the demon's horrible control. He also delivered this woman from her sin and brought to her peace and forgiveness. This is what Jesus came into the world to do, to save us sinners. And he saves you from your sins. And he not only forgives you, but he delivers you from the power of sin. Because it's a lifelong battle for us. It's a lifelong struggle. Because we have desires for what is wrong. We have desired what is wrong. We know it. God knows it. And if we do not let God empty us, we will never be hungry for his word. We will never be satisfied with the things that bring lasting satisfaction. More and more, I'm beginning to wonder, though, if people would rather have a pastor that's more sensitive to their feelings than a preacher of the truth. It isn't that pastors don't want to believe many people are Christian, but pastors are also called to rebuke, admonish, to examine your life and your confession, to better help you with your lifelong struggle against sin. But without God's rebuke, Sin will destroy the body and the body and soul and will be cast into everlasting death. I've heard pastors apologize about the way that Jesus handled this woman's request and plea. I've heard pastors say that his healing of this woman's daughter was his apology. But that's blasphemy. What Jesus did was right. He did nothing wrong because you need a God who loves you enough to break you of your pride, to shatter your self-confidence, to render you helpless before him. Because that is how he strengthens you. That is how he builds you up and purifies you from all your idolatry. It appears cruel at times, but it really is truly his pure love and his steadfast mercy. For he who has bore our sins on the cross forgives those very sins that would destroy us and purifies our hearts 
from everything that is not him and him alone. He forgives and he delivers. And so we cry, O Lord, have mercy. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.